Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 3, and we will read verses 31 through 35. The scripture says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around, he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Several years ago, I think it was probably maybe seven years ago, our church was meeting at Korea Middle School. And right before one of the afternoon services, the it was a summer afternoon and the rooms there didn't have any AC, and so we decided to move our afternoon Bible study to the outside, and we put the chairs out kind of like on this walkway underneath this, uh, this um, uh, uh, roofing, and the breeze was coming through there, and as we were getting ready to start, Tristan Smith was, he led the songs and everything, and and as I got up to teach on 1 Corinthians, Jen Fiegel, Jennifer Fiegel, many of you may not know her, but Jennifer Fiegel has Down syndrome. Those of you that were there remember what happened. She came up to me, right next to me, this close, and just stood there as I was getting ready to, to, to teach on 1 Corinthians. And, you know, knowing that she has Down syndrome and everything, I wasn't going to rebuke her or anything like that. I just put my, my hand behind her and started patting her. I wasn't going to turn because then they would look like, a, you know, not so good. And so I, I just like, hey, Jen, good to have you here. I'm so glad you're here. And, of course, she's, she's Jen. And, and I have a tendency to project my voice. I don't have the softest projecting voice. And being someone with Down syndrome, she has a heightened sense of hearing. She stood right here, this close to me. And as I started to speak, she started to say, be quiet. Be quiet. That's enough. Be quiet. Be quiet. And it was really hilarious. And, of course, Cindy and, and, and everybody was very sympathetic. And Cindy came up and took Jenny and just said, all right, Jenny, let's go. And Jenny just sat. We went back down, sat right back down. 
Well, you know, sometimes during preaching, distractions happen. Well, in what we read this morning, Jesus went through a distraction. And there are times when distractions come in the middle of preaching. This was one of the times for our Lord. If you remember, our Lord had been teaching in Capernaum. He was in a house. Multitudes were flocking all around him. Most of them were enamored with his words and his works. We find that in verse number 20. And the, but there were also others who came merely attempting to discredit his message and his miracles, as we saw last week, weekend, and how they accused him of having uh, being possessed by Satan. There were others who were called friends who thought that Jesus was overworked and that his mind wasn't right, and they thought that he was, they said he was, he's beside himself, and so they came to rescue him. And so, as we look at this setting, in your mind's eye, would you imagine with me, here's Jesus in the middle of this house, and there are the, some are sur- are surrounding him, the audience are the, is there, those that were near him were the ones that wanted to hear more truth. And then a little further back, imagine with me were the scribes and their buddies who were making the accusations. Well, at the very edge of this whole crowd, of this massive gathering, arrived our Lord's immediate family. The Bible tells us that Mary and the, the, uh, his brethren, James, I'm sure, and others... Uh, came and, and began to ask about him. Now, we're not given a reason exactly why they came, but it is plausible that they had heard from his kinsmen that he was claiming to be God. Well, as Jesus was teaching, his family sought to get his attention, and that's when the distraction occurred. And so today, I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, When Ministry is Distracted. When Ministry is Distracted. This passage carries with it important lessons for us to learn if we would simply grasp the truths that are embedded here. And so the first thing I want you to see is that distraction here brought tension. The distraction brought tension in verses 31 and 32. The Bible says, There came then his brethren... And his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. So as Jesus was teaching, his earthly immediate family arrived, and they created some tension for everyone in the room. And I want you to notice first the request by the family in verse 31. There came his brethren and his mother, Standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Now, let's get a a mental picture of what's happening. Jesus is teaching. His immediate family is outside, and they want to get his attention. Because there's so many people around. Most likely, one of his brethren probably could be Mary, we don't know. But somebody said, hey, uh, we want, can you get a hold of of Jesus over there for me. Tell him that his mom and his brothers are here. And so 
I can just imagine that word from, went from one person in the back and it just moved forward and the wave of like that, um, you know, message went all up to the front and everything. And so they're calling out to him and uh, they're sending a message out to him. And I don't want to be dogmatic about this, but it's possible that Mary and Jesus' siblings heard that he, has, he, he was beside himself so they could have been staging an intervention. I don't know, but that's possible. It's plausible. So they sent for him. The second thing we notice here is not just the, the request by the family, but I want you to see the re- reaction of the multitude. Verse 32 says, The multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Well, as this message was being sent from the back and making its way to the front, I can just see that there were some ripples throughout the congregation, throughout the audience. That somebody's turning and whispering to somebody up front. Somebody else is turning and whispering. Can you, can you see the, the, the imagery here? When the words got to those that sat very near Jesus Christ, the ones that were up front, they stopped, in his, stopped Jesus in his tracks because the Bible says, the multitude sat about him. That means really close near to him. They're the ones that said to him, um, excuse me, Lord, behold, your mom, your, your mother, and your brethren, they're seeking for you. They're looking for you. They interrupted him. There was where the distraction happened. In that culture, family was everything. So the crowd fully expected Jesus to stop teaching when they heard that Jesus' family was outside asking for him. It would only show cultural respect. But notice what happened next. In verse number 33, we see the reply by the Savior. In verse 33, and he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? Rather than stopping what he was doing and going to his family, Jesus simply replied, Who is my mother and my bre- or my brethren? Folks, this had to have sent a shockwave of tension throughout the crowd and to his family. Jesus' reply seems abrupt and uh, dismissive, and I'm sure it caused some tension throughout the crowd. But there are a couple of principles we can learn from the heart of our Lord here in his reply. Number one, one lesson is this. Spiritual business takes priority over earthly business. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 49, when Jesus was left by his family for three days and they found him in the temple... Jesus answered his family and said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Even as a preteen, Jesus already was focused on carrying out his father's spiritual obligations for him. We need to have a heart that is constantly bent towards heavenly things. Ephesians 2 verse number 10 tells us that we are saved to serve God. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And God has every right to expect us to be 
uh, to place his will ahead of our own will. I ask you this question. Are you more concerned about the trivial affairs of life than you are of souls? It is high time that we start obeying Colossians 3, verse number 2, which says, Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. That word set is a present imperative of command. And it means to direct your heart and mind. Be focused. Be set like a flint on the things above, not on the things on earth. And because it is a present imperative, it indicates that it needs to be constant action. It needs to be something that we are thinking about on a regular, daily, continuous basis, having our hearts and minds set on heavenly things. Do you put spiritual business above earthly business? Another lesson we can learn from this is that spiritual relationships take priority over human relationships. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. Family is very important. The family that God has given to me is very, very important, and we are very, very close. But family is not all important. Unfortunately, Christians can allow family to to come between them and what God wants them to be or do. And this is what Christ faced with his family in these verses. His earthly family was standing between him and God's will, wanting him to stop what he was doing. This really goes without saying, but is a reminder that when it comes to choose between our family and the Lord, we should always choose the Lord. Always. We never love our family more than when we are totally dedicated to God's will for our lives. Even if some of our family members are unbelievers and they don't see it, it's still the truth. When they see that we put God ahead of earthly family, they will see that God's value is greater than humans and human value. If we make time for family above Christ and our family will perceive that earthly bonds take precedence over spiritual relationships. And Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 33 through 37. He said, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that is speaking in a comparative sense. He doesn't mean to really hate your family members. That's not what he's talking about. He is saying that as much as we love our family, our love for God should be so much the more that we are okay with leaving family to do the will and work of God. Now, I'm not talking about family, health, or death emergencies. If there is a physical health emergency in your family's home, take care of that. That's understandable. But this speaks of the daily priorities where we can put family schedules and social events above spiritual obligations. 
And again, please don't misunderstand me. Family is very important. And we should love and care for family. And we should take care of family. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If family business keeps us from serving God, check your heart. Jesus was teaching that our obligations to God uh, and his will trumps our obligations to earthly relationships. And he made it clear that to put family above him makes us not worthy of him. Jesus cannot be in the back seat of our lives. He needs to be in the driver's seat. And we need to be there with him. Not only do we see that, that distractions cause tension. But I want you to see, secondly, that the distraction brought instruction. The distraction brought instruction. In verses 33 through 35, instead of responding to his earthly family, Jesus reached out to his spiritual family and took this opportunity to continue teaching eternal spiritual truth. Verses 33 to 35 says, And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. What was he teaching here? Let's look at the instruction that he presented. First, I want you to see the Savior's question about family. He said, Who is my mother or my brethren? Jesus' question was designed to consider what a spiritual family is and was. It was in essence asking, who are those who are in a spiritual relationship with God? Who's in this spiritual family? You see, the earthly family was trying to get a hold of him, but Jesus was trying to bring people to his spiritual family. And this is a vital question for everyone. Who's in the spiritual family? How does one become a member of this family? In our natural sinful condition, when we are born spiritually, because we are sinners by nature, we are in the spiritual family of the devil. John 8.44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. We all, born in our natural condition, are sinners by nature, and you can see that in children. Nobody has to teach a child to disobey. Nobody has to teach a child to lie. Why? Year of your father, the devil, he was a liar from the beginning. The most important question of all in life is this. When you die, whose spiritual family will you belong to? In order to be part of God's family, one must trust Jesus Christ to be his savior and receive him. Scripture tells us in John 1, verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Did you catch that? Become the sons of God. Not automatically are the sons of God when you're born, as some people will teach. Everyone is the children of God. That's not true. 
only those who have received Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior become the children of God. The Bible says, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The only way into the family and kingdom of God is exclusively through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the question arises today, to which family do you belong? Not only do we see the, que- the Savior's question but about family, but secondly, I want you to see the Savior's qualifications for family. The Savior's qualifications for family. Look in verses 34 and 35. And he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my father, uh, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. After asking the question, Jesus answered it himself. He looked at those who were following him, his true disciples, those who were near him, and he claimed them to be his spiritual family. And then he spoke of what it took to be considered a member of his spiritual family. Again, imagine what is happening here. Jesus says, who is my mother and my brethren? And he looked at those that were just right about him, near him, and he said, behold, my brethren and my mother. And then, verse 35, he gives the qualifications. He said, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. The will of God here doesn't speak of being obedient or following God's commandments in order to become a child of God. That's salvation by works. And God does not accept salvation by works. Rather, the will of God that is spoken here is the will of God that a person be saved and enter into the family of God. That is his will. That is his desire for everyone. The Bible says in John 6, verse number 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and will raise him, and I will raise him up at, at the last day. That's the will of God he's speaking of. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4, Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. That's the will of God. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that we not perish, but that we have life. Because we trust in Jesus Christ when we change our belief system about the sovereign God, the Savior, Scripture, sin, and our need of salvation. That's repentance. It's having a change of mind of all that. The requirement is simply to believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. So not only do we see the spiritual qualification to be in his family, but also I want you to see the spiritual qualities of being in his family. Once we are believers and are born into his family, there are qualities that demonstrate that we are part of his family. There ought to be a resemblance when we become part of the family of God 
So what are these resemblances? Well, number one, there's that resemblance of regeneration that I spoke of. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Number two, there's that resemblance of a mark of loving God's word. The Bible says in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will love my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Thirdly, there's the resemblance of the mark of a desire to stay connected with God in prayer. Communication. Talking with God. Luke 11, 1 says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And then number four, another resemblance of being in the family of God is that there ought to be a mark of a desire to serve and be around God's family. Hebrews 10, 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And then, number five, another mark or resemblance of being in the family of God is loving souls. That's the heart of God. Mark 16, 15. Jesus said unto the disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I close with this. Do you possess the resemblance of a child of God? You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kehiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525.